The gods hate women, I declare. So does you, Ripides. That's just a taste of what to expect at the Faux Real Theater Company's performance of Lysistrata. It's at the New Eurekan Poet Cafe in Manhattan. The musical comedy tells the tale of how the women of early Greece used the battle of the sexes to help end a war. Let's give them hell! Oi, this lousy smoke! I think I see a smoky shimmer rising. <laughs> I'm Robin Channon, and on today's Fordham Conversations, I sit down with members of the Faux Real Theater Company, director and Fordham professor Mark Greenfield, musical director Tony Namofsky, and performers Joy Kelly and Emma Orm. Give me a synopsis of the play, Mark. Lysistrata um, is an Athenian woman, and there's been these ongoing wars between the Spartans and the Athenians and other countries that are brought into it. And Lysistrata decides that she is going to end the war and encourages all the women of both sides, the Spartan women and the Athenian women, to get together and withhold sex from their husbands until the husbands make peace. And the play ends with Athens and Sparta making peace, which was historically not actually what happened, um, but it was sort of a, a, a wishful thinking on the part of the writer Aristophanes. And we have some of the members of the Faux Real Theater Company here. Let's go around and everybody introduce yourself and also tell me about your character and your part in the play. Oh. Okay, well, I'm Mark Greenfield. I directed the play, and I've been running the Full Real Theater Company since 1997. And I'm also one of the understudies, and I go on about every other night or so for different actors, because we have a very large cast. We have 16 actors, and I'm the, the general male understudy. And, so that um, means you have to know all the parts? No, no, I only know one of the parts. We have another male understudy, too. There's really one actor who kind of is, is coming in and out, and I play the old chorus leader. And... Um, for a long time, we did devised theater where we would just do this crazy experimental theater where we would take people into a room and, like, there'd be no chairs and we would turn the room into just kind of like a rave. And that, that was what we did for years. And, and then we felt like we wanted to try more traditional plays. And so we thought, what would fit our aesthetic? And we chose Greek theater because what people don't realize about Greeks and the Greek theater was that they were just crazy. I mean, <laughs> these plays happened, like, during these festivals where everybody was smashed. They were all drunk. These guys would get on stage mostly naked. It was all men. They'd be wearing these masks. They'd be screaming and chanting and whirling around. And I think we think of, like, guys standing in togas, like, uh, speaking very sonorously and somber, like, oh. And also these guys, they had to be entertaining because they were competing to win these contests. So in addition to kind of, you know, being these sort of erudite, very profound plays, they also did these comedies that were completely... It wouldn't get done today that if, because they would be considered too sexual or too uh, risque. But the main thing that we try and bring to the work is that the idea that it must be entertaining and it must also have something of substance and intelligence to it. And But the, I think people leave out the entertaining part a lot and without, without changing it that much, without making it something that is so different from what they did back then. So the aim is really to make intelligent theater fun. That's and I do want to get into uh, more particulars about the play, but I still want everybody to go around and introduce yourself. So why don't we go with Tony next? I'm Tony Nomofsky. I played a couple of characters. One of them is Drakis. I play it with a traditional drum. Um, I'm throughout the play in and out. And uh, as well as the end of the play, I appear as uh, reconciliation, which is... The character uh, reconciliation the or character, the emotion? It's a character 
reconciliation who shows up at the end uh, beautifully in a bikini. He's forgetting to mention that reconciliation is listed in the script as a beautiful naked woman. (laughs) And Tony, you can't see him, is this very muscular and buff uh, Macedonian man who also writes and plays a lot of the music in the shows, too. Yeah, so that yeah, those two characters and I did the music for the show and I played drums when I'm not on stage together with Mark and with a couple of other musicians. And I do have some musical questions, but we're going to continue going around. How about Joy? I play Kalanike, who's uh, a friend and neighbor of Lysistrata. And the two of us actually talk about what's going to happen early on, and I'm, I have all my doubts about it because it's just not the way things are done. I also play, I'm part of the chorus. There's an old women chorus and there's a young women chorus, and I'm in both. All of the women are old and all of the women are young, and we kind of go back and forth with a wig. <laughs> we change on and off stage. Uh, and that's... That's what I'm doing. How much changing is there? You have to. You have a lot of characters here. So how yeah. much changing back and forth? Like you have an old woman wig. Is it gray? And a young woman's wig is long or something along those lines? Well, the young woman is just my hair. Is okay. who I am. And then there's the old woman wig. And then we kind of physicalize old people. Like Very stereotypical. Yeah. 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 And do a little bit of a vocal stuff. And young women is just us. And she's also she's also neglecting to mention that the co- the play calls for the characters all strip naked at some point. Yes, now, we do. But, but what we do is we don't actually get naked. We have these kind of like naked costumes under our costumes, and the men strip down to tidy whiteies. Wait, what does the naked costume? What is that? Well, the women have the. Uh, do you want to describe it, Joy? Should I? Uh... Well, the women we have these flesh colored uh, kind of chemises, I guess, and we have granny panties, <laughs> and they put um, big brown nipples. <laughs> I don't know if you could even say that, but great big brown nipples that. on the uh, the chemise is kind of form-fitting. Now, what does the, the... I know they originally did these naked. Why take it to this level, Mark? Why? The, the, because we're, we're trying to explore what the work is. And, uh, so it's not I, just for the audience; it's also for the actors. It's it's for everything. It's we're trying to create something. Um, when I think of what Greek theater really was, it, it, there's something that is very jarring and psychologically resonant, and both funny and disturbing, and grotesque and wonderful about it. And so there needs to be when the, when the play calls for the characters strip naked. And also, these in Greece, it was men playing women. So we're like, when the characters strip naked, the women's chorus strips naked, what does that even mean? So we were trying to think, like, how do you interpret that? And we thought, we'll have costumes that represent nudity. And what's interesting, also, what Joy forgot is the panties yes. have pubic hair sewn on the top of them. So, and, and, <laughs> and that just freaked everybody out, including the actors at first. They were like, we got to wear this. And um, Does it look as strange as that sounds? It's, or is it's long. What's, what's interesting to note is that fake nudity is more jarring than real nudity. Like people are more freaked out by this than if they had. So is that why you picked it instead of actually? No, I I don't. I I've been in plays naked, and I've worked on plays where people have been naked. I don't feel comfortable asking. This is just my own prudishness. I don't feel comfortable asking women actors to get naked. It feels to me like I'd somehow be putting myself in a position that I don't want to be in. and maybe that, I, but I've been in shows directed by women where I was naked, and I'm I'm fine with newly on stage. I I often feel though it becomes the problem with newly on stage is it becomes 
you'll see an entire play and everyone will walk away and say, wow, did you see the, the stuff on that guy? Right. <laughs> that becomes the, whole the play. focus becomes the nudity right. and yeah. not actually and what's not happening the play. Exactly. in the play. Right, I understand that. And Emma? Um, my name is Emma Orm, and uh, Joy very adequately introduced what I do in this play, but basically I'm in the chorus, so I play young woman, then old woman, then young woman, then old woman, and then singing young woman, and then singing old woman. Oh, and I also play Skathina. I was almost going to forget about her, <laughs> who, is who is a small slave girl, and I wear um, a mask to represent this slave figure. Uh, and tremble and carry shields and pots and and bowls and get yelled at and get yelled at. What, what's interesting to note in this play is, you, you know, the, a lot of the translations have been altered to make it so this character of Scythina is not a slave. They change all these right. different things. And we were working with a translator, and I said, "Who is this character?" I said she's written as a slave. And people change it because they're not comfortable with that because they want Lysistrata to be this perfect character, but meanwhile she owns slaves. And we wanted to emphasize. Not emphasize, just that while being these enlightened people, they also had these horrible characteristics, and one was slavery with reality. It's also important to note that slavery back then, at least in Greece, was not race-based. It was pretty much anybody who lost in a war, anybody who didn't have enough money, and if you were in trouble with the law, there were a variety of reasons you could just be made into a slave. And I don't think... I mean, this is hard to ameliorate, but I don't think the quality of the slaves that lived there was as terrible as the slave system in the United States. I don't think they're, they're almost two different systems. Now, Mark, outside of the naked costumes, what's different about your adaptation? It's really, I, I feel like it's true to the original. We, we're working with um, a couple of texts. Uh, a, some of the chorus lines are changed from the original to sort of um, make them flow a little more, but not to modernize it. Um, and, but most of the text we're using is really pretty much a very straightforward translation. So the words are the words as they would be heard. We, the music is what's different. We incorporate some modern music. We begin with Balkan music. It's beautiful Balkan music that Tony's written. And then as the play progresses, we suddenly spring into like uh, doo-wop. Or actually, nope. we actually use um, uh, a line from Smokey Robinson's um, Ooh, Baby, Baby. I forget yes. what the... Uh, <laughs> So wait, Tony, so you actually, this did the play originally have music, or you is this all the music is, is your, your brainchild? Well, the, um, we assume a lot of the, a lot of the stuff uh, has been written to be sang, like a lot of the chorus stuff and a lot of the, a lot of the parts. But no, there is no music that comes with it. Uh, in modern times, the way we translate it, we just assume what parts were sang at what point. So I am Macedonian, and I have a large background of uh, music from Macedonia as well as the Balkans. And I use a lot of inspiration from that, since that is the closest to what this music would, uh, would have been back then. And since I'm a drummer and grew up a musical, uh, in a musical family, I, I use that a lot. So basically we sat down with Mark... We, we, we chose the parts where we wanted to have uh, that taste and that touch of music and all these traditional tunes and, and rhythms to incorporate it and then mix it up with, with modern times. And then later on in the play, as Mark mentioned, even Americanized some of them. And that's pretty much it. How many songs did you write? Oh, boy. There's, there's, like about, there's about 10 songs in place. Some, yeah, something. There were about a dozen, and then we cut a couple, and then we changed a couple 
since um, it's one thing when you when you do it in the beginning and a different thing when you run it together and you see where it's too much of something or too less and and cut and shift for the better of the play, the pace, the rhythm, and the energy of it. Is any of it done in Macedonian language? Is that what it's called? Uh, no. No, it's all it's in not, English? Not, yeah, it's all in, all in English, yeah. Okay. Last, last year when we did, Oedip, or two years ago when we did two Oedipus, at the beginning when Oedipus spoke, we had her speaking in, we were working with the translator, and we, had, we translated into the ancient Greek, and we had her speak in ancient Greek just to freak people out a little bit, and, <laughs> and then we went into English. <laughs> Didn't she also speak in ancient Greek when she came out with, like, her eyeballs popping yeah, out of her head? Yeah, she came when she had her eyeballs taken out. She spoke in ancient Greek, well, too, that would make yeah. sense. to add extra freakiness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon, sitting down with members of the Faux Real Theater Company, director and Fordham professor Mark Greenfield, musical director Tony Namoski, and performers Joy Kelly and Emma Orm. They're performing Lissa Strada at the New Rican Poets Cafe. It's a comedy on how the women of early Greece used the battle of the sexes to help end a war. There's one song in the play called Grinder Girl. Yeah. So can you set this up for me, and then can we hear a little of it? Yeah. Um, go ahead. Emma, it's your song, so why don't you talk about it while I get on my guitar? And then I also want to make sure that we hear some Macedonian music, because it's a real nice mashup we do of, like, modern American and Macedonian. <laughs> Um, so essentially, uh, this is a, a point in the play when the old men's chorus and the old women's chorus are sort of uh, taking turns provoking each other, and the old men's chorus has just stripped down a layer, and a lot of what they do to provoke us is ki- kind of try to degrade us. They try to lower the right. value of women, and so in this song, um, Joy and I... We retort by telling them how higher value actually is with real stories. Like one time when I was a younger girl, I was such a faithful, you know, I was I was such a faithful follower of Athena that I was given the privilege of carrying the sacred chest, and and Joy was given the privilege of carrying the sacred basket. So exactly. like, look how great women can be, men, and that's essentially the. the and so this is supposed to, so Grinder Girl is sort of a combination of. Of both the people coming against each other, sort of provoking each other, or is it, or is this part just the women? This provoking? is the women's response because the men have said some really mean things to us exactly. and things that they're going to do. And um, um, Emma's character comes and says, "You don't know what it's like to be a woman." Mm. And then she goes into her song, and then I follow it. Okay, I want to hear exactly. this. <laughs> Are y'all ready? <laughs> When I was a girl, I performed the rites of goddess worship. I set my sights on becoming the bearer of the sacred chest. To the temple of Athena, I surpassed the rest, and they made me a grinder girl. Take pride in grinding flour For the sacred cake At the festival of Artemis Young and fair I wore the saffron costume Of the sacred bear And then I completely succeeded As a pious maid And bore the sacred basket in the Spring Parade 
the people on cheer. What a beautiful sight! In Athens, little fat cats are brought up right. In Athens, little fat cats are brought up right. Grinder girl. <laughs> and Tony, you actually wrote a Macedonian song. Can we hear that? This goes as ancient as possible in this tune. Okay. I like it. Want to borrow a couple of thousand tracks. I could dig deep down in my cloak. Oh, I wouldn't expect you to pay me back. But I happen to be stone broke. I like that I'm actually, while we're at it, I'm just going to sing Defying Gravity from Wicked. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Now, this play was written by Aristophanes, who was known for his comedy. What's the funniest scene in the play? And if you have different scenes, if there's different scenes for each of you, please share. Um, there's a scene where the old chorus leader, the two, the old man chorus leader and the old woman chorus leader, after having this battle for the whole play, finally get together. And the way they reconcile their uh, animosity is she helps him pop a sty he has on his eye. And his line is actually... Take this brooch of mine, pop that sty, hold it up, and show it to me. And then she does it, and it's this very, it's supposed to be a metaphor for sexual activity. The popping of the sty is like the popping of the, well, you know what. It, it's, it's so filthy and grotesque. Wait now, Mark, did you come up with that scene, or was that already No, that's part the scene. The, the, the translation from the Greek is, take this, it's actually ring, it's a ring because they were sharp. We changed that to brooch, that was the only word. The translation was, take this ring of mine, pop that sty, hold it up, and show it to me. So it was just like, that's nasty. And that, you know, so I like that. Now, Emma, <laughs> we can tell. Now, Emma and Joy, uh, you're, you're, you sing in, in the play uh, as well as act. But is it is it challenging to go from um, being able to sing like a older person to a younger person? Is there a strain in your voice? Is it challenging to emphasize certain words that mean certain things? Like the sty means something different, so do you emphasize that more if you're singing about it? I think it's a. Uh, we actually do I, most of our singing as old women. Yeah. We have like right. one song that we sing as as younger women. Um, so I think well, I always feel like the younger woman in my older woman comes out when I sing. Um, <laughs> so there's a, we have one song that's bluesy and right. uh, and and edgy and fun, and I, I feel like it's it's the older woman like living her reliving her heyday. Um, right. And so a little bit of the creak in the voice drops away and starts moving her hips. And well, I mean, actually, I think the songs. Uh, when we sing them as old women, they're kind of designed to for us to sound like old women. Like that yeah, first totally. thing we sing about Athena's uh, golden plume. Oh, yeah. I mean, we sing that pretty much regularly, but 
the sound of the song itself makes us sound like all women. <laughs> totally. And interestingly, um, if you use an old, you know, sort of a stereotypical older woman's voice, that like higher screechy thing, it yeah. makes higher singing easier exactly. when you put on this character voice. Right. Um, so, yeah, it, it tend, they for, tend to work with each other. Except for we, sometimes as young women, we tend to go a little bit legit. Oh, yeah. That's just <laughs> What funny. does that mean, legit? We go, oh, there's opera. a little operatic with, um, it's just a little segments when, we, when we're, we're talking to uh, Alyssa Strada. What says now? What says now? Oh, yeah. Oh, says, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the hardest song to sing? In this play, um, I actually challenging. I actually think that the song the there we have a song about we come back on as as younger women very quickly after having been older women and we talk about how they won't see any pubic hair down there because we're younger women and we know how to use our tweezers yes, <laughs> yes. and we set it in this very high key because as older women that's super accessible and then all of a sudden we're younger women so we do that what Joy was talking oh, about which true. is this like Switching. legit classically sounding thing that's and, true and it's it's actually fun challenge to both can i hear uh, a little sure we could try it um okay don't strain your Maybe eyes just, a, just a, don't don't strain your eyes you geezers don't hope for a peep in our hair we know how to use our tweezers so you won't see anything there <laughs> Very little is written about um, Aristophanes. What do we know about him that you incorporated into your play, if anything? We didn't really incorporate a lot of history about Aristophanes. I think he ran into some trouble with the law a couple of times because of the um, controversial nature of his writing. We don't really incorporate that as much as what we try and do is just stay faithful to what the material that he wrote is. Are there any other Macedonian songs you have for us? This one is uh, another one that Tony wrote, and it's in a 7-8 rhythm, which Tony always teases me about not being able to do because it's a really it's this amazing rhythm that Tony does so well. But uh, this is basically when the men, the old men chorus appears, and they're singing about how the gods uh, and this writer Euripides hate women. The gods hate women, I declare. So does Euripides, and as for males, the one he likes, a pretty boy's who tease. Oh, holy Athena, hairy pan, I faint, I fail, I choke. Some mangy mongrel bites my eyes, it's this godforsaken smoke. Unto the sacred citadel, the goddess calls, let's give him hell! Oi, this lousy smoke! I think I see a smoky shimmer rising. <laughs> Very good. What do you hope the audience walks away with after seeing this performance? I hope the audience walks away both edified and entertained. I want the audience to walk away and be like, damn, I didn't know Greek theater could be that much fun. And we'll have people who will say like, oh, but you guys changed it. We'll be like, no, we didn't. That's what it is. That's the spirit of it. So I want people, and I'm not trying to sell Greek theater. I'm not trying to sell it. I, I just enjoy it. But I want people 
to I want theater to be something that is actually vibrant and makes people feel excited and alive. And I also, in general, in every play, there has to be something that cannot be communicated through words, so something that is experienced. So when people are in there, one of the things that can't be communicated through words is creating a sense of joy, creating a sense of, like, uh, comedic laughter that you don't know why, you don't know why you're laughing or, or something that's grotesque but both funny at the same time. So I want to go do something that goes beyond words and I want to do something we want. Ideally for me, by the end of the play, the audience will be shouting and hooting, hooting and hollering us mm-hmm. and, and, you know, uh, and talking back to the cast. Like I think we're trained as, as audiences to kind of sit there quietly with our hands on our lap. If for me, the show is a success if the audience is shouting back at us and, and mm-hmm. part of the whole thing. The show takes place in a bar. And so, um, y- y- uh, where, where is it going to be? It's at the New Yorican Poets Cafe, which is 236 East 3rd Street in Manhattan. As soon as the audience walks in, we give them a, a cup of wine. We give them some grapes. We give them a cup of grape juice if they don't drink wine. And we, we're dancing with them and we just, want the sense of like that it's like a Dionysian festival something that is meant to be uh, lived and loved and that you participate in it um, so, so be ready to participate when the audience comes out yeah, and they, sees it. Oh, they don't have to like, you know, it's not like improv comedy. We'll say, we would like a suggestion for this, and you give a suggestion. But we just want the audience to have a good time. And we also want, while remaining true to what this material is and presenting some fairly controversial, provocative ideas, because a lot of people who've seen it, I was surprised by how transgressive and provocative this play was. I thought it was a little ditty. And then we started doing it. My wife, who's uh, really into experimental theater, came and she's never shocked. She was like, "This is shocking," <laughs> and I was like, "And I didn't, and I didn't know we were creating something shocking, and it is." And, so, and, and I'm, you know, very happy with the work these guys are doing and the cast is doing in general, and I hope people will see it. I just think to add to to what Mark was saying, I, I would hope that the audience walks away feeling a sense of community. You know, that 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 party festival environment makes you feel a little closer to the stranger who was sitting next to you at the top of the show. Yeah, I. It's important, the, the sense of fun, because we do come out into the audience during the show. We talk directly to audience members. Sometimes we provoke them a little bit. <laughs> um, and it's, and that, there is an element about that that is shocking to the audience. Sometimes the audience is very surprised when we come right out to them. And I want the audience to f- have a feeling of comfort and joy. Just to, This is Mark adding on to what Joy said. There was no fourth wall in Greek theater. The fourth wall, the idea that the actors pretended that the audience wasn't there is really a, a 19th century, a really 20th century convention. Mm-hmm. And so we really try and maintain, uh, uh, be truthful to that Greek idea where there was, there was a conversation between the audience and the people on stage. The audience might not be saying anything, but the actors weren't pretending the audience weren't there. They were talking to them. They were the people of the city, and they're sharing this mm-hmm. event with them. And Tony, you're a musical director. You're the musical director of this play. Mm-hmm. What is one essential song of the play? Well, that's a hard one. I I think the 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 song that it's kind of towards the end where uh, the, both choruses come together and sing um, Athenian women, Athenian men. Set the scene for me. What's happening there, and what, um, what's the song? Well, about? it's pretty much at the end of the play. The the commissioner. Of the town shows up and says, uh, "Damn it, the same old. It's true. We can't live with we with you. We can't live without you. So let's unite and join our ourselves into one and sing a song as one." 
And so, and this is when the the battle of the sexes was sort of over, and the guys yes. had given up and said, "Okay, we're not going to go to war because we miss our women." And peace, peace has been made, and uh, they're setting up, you know, to sing together. And this is pretty much, you know, towards the end, and Lizzie Stratus' uh, dream, and the, the ladies has won, uh, have won. And Athenian women. Athenian men Don't bad out the opposite Sex again Hard times have hit us And we all hurt So let's quit treating Each other like Badly Let's cultivate the gentle touch. Let's mine be yours and yours be mine. Though we haven't got that much. I'd like to thank my guests, Mark Greenfield, director and Fordham University professor, Tony Namofsky, musical director and actor, Joy Kelly and Emma Orm, both actors and singers with the Faux Real Theater Company. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Sunday at 6 a.m. You can also friend us on Facebook, Follow us on Twitter and catch up on past shows with our weekly podcast. Stay right there. George Bodarkey and Cityscape are up next. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. And I'm going to leave you with just a little bit more of Lestrada from the Faux Real Theater Company. Would you explain? How do you fix a tangled skein of wool? Any good house? Wife knows when it's all snarled, you take your spindle and you draw the strands this way and that until the model's gone. That's how we'll fix your model wall. We'll bring on boys from Boisha and Sparta this way.